Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. I am your host, Josh Campson. We've got a really great guest today. I mean, we always have good guests, but today we have Representative Madeline Dean. Uh, she's a member of Congress. She's a lawyer. She's a Montgomery County native. So definitely an interview you want to check out. She's got two new books out. One's an adult book. It's a memoir called Under Our Roof, A Son's Battle for Recovery, A Mother's Battle for Her Son. It's about her and her son talking through his journey through his opioid addiction into recovery. And they've also got a children's story that they wrote together called You Are Always Loved, A Story of Hope. Check those out for sure. Uh, this is a great conversation. We talk about everything from assigning essays to kids in the summer to how to have a successful marriage for 37 years. Uh, and as well, of course, about being in Congress, what's that like, uh, making a transition from being a practicing attorney to being uh, a politician slash member of Congress. So definitely check it out. Give it a listen. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And if you do, as always, remember to rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. Representative Dean, thanks for joining us on Interrogatories. Good morning. It's great to be with you, Josh. So I'd like to say you're our first uh, politician, but we did have our prothonotary Noah Marlier on on an early episode, and he is definitely a politician. So uh, you're you're our fanciest politician. I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll put it that way. Oh, I don't know if Noah will appreciate that, Josh. So yeah, uh, second well, to Noah. That's good. Well, he uh, talked about how much time he spent riding a bike in Africa, so it was very not fancy. Okay, that's but. You're our first author. Oh, well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, so tell us about it. You've got a book, right? Under Our Roof? Yes, and thank you. And Josh, you know me. You know me well, so call yeah. me Matt or Madeline. Yes, I'm really excited. Uh, my son and I, Harry Canan, and I wrote a memoir called Under Our Roof. We also wrote a children's book at the same time called You Are Always Loved, and it is on the subject uh, of uh, my son's struggle with opioid addiction and our family struggled to find out what was going on and what was going wrong. Uh, and much more importantly, it is a story of hope. Harry is now eight years, seven months, plus some number of days uh, in long-term recovery from opioid addiction and is doing extremely well. So it's a book written from both of our perspectives. We actually literally wrote it separately. Our fonts are different to indicate uh, different voices and our experiences. Uh, and then the editor, uh, very ably wove our stories together uh, to tell the story of struggle and most more importantly of hope and recovery. And that was going to be my question because I've read it and it it's clearly from two different perspectives. And I wanted to know, was there any interaction? Did you guys talk about it or you just each wrote your story? And it sounds like you kind of wrote the book separately and then somebody else put it together and said, all right, mom and son, you don't need to be in the same room editing each other's voice. Well, you know what, as soon as the, the, the idea came from my eldest son, who had written a book about his experience working in the Obama administration, his book's called West Winging It. His agent came to him and said, do you have another book? And he said, no, uh, but I, I think my brother and mother have a story to tell. And so as soon as the agent and Pat, our elder son, uh, came to us, I said, oh, I can picture this, that we would write it separately. And I immediately thought of the separate font. And I did that in part because I, I said to Harry, I don't want to mix up my memories with what you were experiencing. So truthfully, I had literally, um, I was in Congress camp, I'll call it, at Harvard. And uh, we wrote, we called each other, we created an outline, 
And then we literally wrote separate chapters. I will say at about the halfway point in the book, uh, I got to read his first half and he got to read my first half. Uh, and so it was then that I learned an awful lot more that I, that I didn't know, pretty painful. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, he was dogging me, where are you on chapter three? And uh, I was always behind him. He's a faster, abler writer, uh, but it was fun to do it and, and also challenging. Uh, but uh, eventually uh, by the, the second half of the book, we were putting things together. Nice. I was just picturing the idea of me trying to even write something with my mom or my law partner or my wife. And uh, I, I can't imagine, but this sounds like the good way to do it. Oh, Josh, I would never in my entire life have thought I'd be writing a book a book with my son. As I said, it was painful, but really a joyful journey. We, we were close anyway, as a result of his, so um, his hard work and recovery is just a wonderful person. Uh, but the book brought us even closer together, whole family, really. Yeah, I bet. But now, so that's kind of a long journey. And what we'd like to talk about here is that journey that you've made from Widener Law School to <laughs> member of Congress slash author, because that's quite the story to tell. Um, what's, what, what would you say are the broad strokes of that story? Boy, I don't know. Uh, I would call it meandering, <laughs> not a straight line, uh, but in, in each zig or zag, uh, I, I feel like uh, I was very fortunate that whatever I was doing at that time helped prepare me to get to where I am now, uh, which is Congress. One of the, one of the most important opening doors uh, was uh, when I was 18 years old uh, and uh, a neighborhood uh, uh, mother and father, my high school girlfriend's parents came to me and said, Mad, we have an idea for you. Uh, are you registered to vote? We think you should run for office. And that literally opened the door to politics and public service uh, and campaigns and all the rest. And so at 18, I uh, registered to vote made up a little pamphlet, went door to door, running for committee woman in my precinct uh, of Ward 13 in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Knocked on doors, homemade pamphlet. And so the very first time I voted, I walked into the voting booth and my own name was on the ballot. I voted for myself and I won. I took out an incumbent, Josh. Nice. Uh, rude. I, I, yeah. <laughs> who does that? Yeah. Uh, but, but by doing that, I, and I say that as an important, I think, uh, anecdote for anybody who's considering anything in life, that sometimes you'd be surprised that somebody might suggest something to you, join this club, come to this meeting, uh, and it might open a door you never would have thought of. I literally worked then on Joe Hoffel's reelect for state house. I'm dating myself. I'm going to go way back here. Uh, and this was in 1978. At the same time, my now husband was elected a committee man right up the street. We met on Joe Hoffel's campaign. And so I always thank Joe uh, for introducing PJ Canan to me. And we're yeah. married 37 years. Uh, so it, that was one of the, the greatest, smallest steps uh, that, that planted the seed in me that someday uh, I'm going to run for office myself. And then, you know, you graduated law school and you went into private practice for a bit, right? Yes, I, pra I practiced uh, in Philadelphia County uh, with a Philadelphia trial lawyers firm. Uh, I served as executive director for the Philadelphia trial lawyers. And then uh, as PJ and I were having little kids, we have three now grown sons. Uh, I found that practice, full-time practice of law was not for me. I wanted to be home with the kids. 
And so uh, I did that and had a part-time practice with two other women in Glenside. So a three women law firm, uh, two young mothers and the, the third didn't have any children. So we called her the aunt. Uh, so it was, uh, it, it was fun and niche and um, we didn't make any money, but it yeah. was fun. <laughs> what, did you do plaintiff's work or something else? No, we did. Uh, really, um, we seem to attract a lot of women, but if we did more contracts, uh, smaller, smaller issues, wills, estates, real estate, um, some employment work. Uh, so uh, nothing that would be trial work. Yeah. Now, do you miss the courtroom? I mean, no. it sounds like you, you okay. <laughs> that wasn't no. your passion. No, it wasn't. I, I actually, I, I did like it. Uh, and I always felt the power of advocating for somebody. Uh, and I feel like that's been the thread through my career, that whether I was a, a trial attorney uh, or just a, a civil attorney uh, or as a professor uh, and now in Congress and in, in uh, professional public life, uh, I feel like I'm advocating. So I think that was the common thread. Uh, but no, I don't miss the courtroom. Because, you know, and I've mentioned this to you before, but for the listeners watching you, you were in the impeachment team obviously. And uh, watching you do that to me, I'm thinking it, it invoked to me thinking, oh, Representative Dean is missing the courtroom and she's out there, you know, giving them the one two punch. And this is like a trial lawyer unleashed. And here we go. I get to brandish my old chops. But it sounds like you're just doing your job and crushing it. Well, you know what, Josh, I have to tell you, that was that will stand out as um, one of the most uh, solemn honors of a career of a lifetime to have been asked by Speaker Pelosi to serve as an impeachment manager for Trump's uh, impeachment number two, to serve alongside Jamie Raskin, our manage, our, our lead manager, um, and the, the other uh, seven members of the team, uh, just an incredible honor. So that was one courtroom, the Senate, that I certainly enjoyed because I felt such a purpose, such duty uh, and privileged to, to make sure we marked for history. So that courtroom I enjoyed. Okay, but you're not uh, anxious to go back into a regular courtroom, it sounds like. No. How about, Josh, you You love the courtroom, I'm, I'm presuming. Oh, yeah, that's my thing. So it's been annoying that they're all virtual now. But, you know, they're starting to open up. Um, sure. Yeah, and some of these uh, further west in Pennsylvania are opening up, and I've got a trial next week out there, another one in Harrisburg. So it's starting to get back which is good wonderful yeah because my wife as my wife tells me i have to, I have to get my adrenaline somewhere because it's annoying to her when i'm just prattling around the house so that's why they <laughs> made me do this podcast because just so i could talk to someone because she doesn't keep, keep josh talking yes exactly you got to keep sure. me busy uh so you went you owned the law firm you went and worked for the trial uh attorneys how did you, what was that transition? Because that's kind of a, you know, meandering random transition. What made you make that jump, if you remember? Well, back when I was first a trial lawyer, um, I was with A. Harold Datz, a Philadelphia trial lawyer who has since passed away, but he was a kind, extraordinary good friend and mentor to me, uh, a Philadelphia trial lawyer. And I remember the day he hired me, he put a, an application in front of me and said, Mad, sign up. I said, what am I signing up for? He said, you're signing up for the Philadelphia trial lawyers. And that really inspired in me. And, and, and I always say to this day, I have trial lawyers, Philadelphia trial lawyers in my DNA, because you can't work with the Philadelphia trial lawyers uh, without appreciating uh, what they bring to the plaintiff's bar, what they bring to the plaintiff's practice. 
and so I was a couple of years with Harold and then uh, had the chance to serve as executive director for the trial lawyers right in Philadelphia. Uh, so that was fun because I knew all of these trial lawyers uh, and many of them are still very active today. And every time I'm with them, I feel right at home. We are family. Uh, so it was neat to go from being a trial lawyer to being executive director briefly. Yeah. And then how about teaching? You know, what, what made you want to teach? Well, you know, I, I found that with three little boys, I couldn't do the full-time practice of law. And I remember I, I was graduated from LaSalle University and I remember thinking I would love it if I could teach a single course. Uh, I love writing. My father was a talented writer uh, and, and instilled in all of us uh, the uh, ambition to write well, uh, even though it was through all summer long, he would assign us essays and he would then mark them on Sunday nights with his red pencil. So we hated that, but it did help us become better writers. Uh, and so I thought, you know what might work really well is teaching with uh, being with young, my young family. And so I literally got a call from, I applied to LaSalle University, got a call one late summer. Uh, they must have been desperate for somebody to teach freshman comp. Uh, and I went in and I taught two sections uh, as an adjunct. And then they found for me a full-time position uh, as an assistant professor. And I taught all different levels of writing. I absolutely loved it, did it for 10 years. Uh, it was good for me and, and family and all of that kind of time, but it also uh, continued to hone my own writing skills. Now, let's talk about these essays. What kind of topics are we talking about here? Oh, my father was tough. He would do, we had dinnertime quizzes. So it would be current events. It would be issues oriented. Uh, it could be family oriented. Uh, but he would give us these assignments. And as I said, we would dread them. Uh, and you'd have to turn them in for the weekend as he would mark them. And uh, we'd all be like, how far are you on your essay? I'm not there yet. you know. But uh, it, it really, it, it gave us a love of words and, and an appreciation of the mechanics uh, of the English language to communicate more effectively. Uh, so my father, my father was just a funny, extraordinarily talented writer and thinker. And where were you? Because you had what, six siblings? Seven. I'm the baby. I am the youngest of seven. And where they, were you in the shuffle were, with the essays? You know, who was the best, who got the best grades on the essays or did it not compare because everyone was different ages? You didn't get grades. You got it marked up. Okay. Uh, so he didn't assign a letter grade to it. He would just show you uh, where you could have chosen a better word, where you're, you were comma splicing, uh, where you needed to actually figure out what that paragraph meant. Uh, so, so no grades. And what essays do you assign or did you assign to your kids? Did you continue uh, this tradition? I tried and failed. No, I tried. <laughs> but guess what? Uh, all three of my kids are talented writers. You, you can see Harry in the book. My son, Pat, after leaving and being a senior writer for Barack Obama uh, in the White House, is now a screenwriter in Los Angeles talented writers. So I don't know, maybe somehow they, they picked up some of it from me. I will say when they were young, they would ask me to edit their papers. Could you, what am I doing wrong with the mechanics? So I'd, I'd help them a little bit that way. And is he writing on anything we, we know about or that you're allowed to share and plug? I don't think I can, but many, he has three different projects moving right now and they are all political. One about a president, one about a governor, uh, actually two, two about presidents, one about a governor, another 
the president and a prime minister. So can't say much more than that. Okay. Yeah. Well, write what you know, I guess. That's what they say. Yeah. Uh, so I want to shift gears just for a second because we've you know talked a little bit about your professional career, a little bit about your personal life, but you've been married 37, 37 years? Yes. That's a long time. That's a long time. So I want to know, you know, as someone that's been married, I don't know, six or six or seven years, uh, what's the secret? And I'm sure you get this all the time, but was it just don't go to bed angry? Do you have anything else for us? Have separate, <laughs> you know, you keep separate bedrooms. That's one of the things I've uh, been told, you know, have separate bedrooms, separate houses, et cetera. No, uh, none of those um, ordinary responses. I'm sure there are times we've gone to bed angry, probably me more than PJ. Uh, I, I think the secret is uh, finding somebody who is extraordinary like PJ. Uh, I always think that uh, if you meet somebody who makes you a better person, that's your ticket. Stay with that. Uh, and so I remember PJ and I, we were dating. Uh, I was not nearly so liberal as he. We would have these rambunctious arguments over um, politics, uh, socialized medicine, remember, back in the day. Uh, and so he... He just uh, has an extraordinary heart, a good sense of humor, uh, and a keen intellect. Uh, and so we've been lucky. Uh, we share a lot of the common interests, but we also have our own. Uh, I've always supported him. I will tell you, you, you can't imagine how supportive he's been of me, along with the boys and girls, um, lifting me to get to Congress. So I don't know, marry somebody who's just terrific. And then you get 37 plus years. There you go. How does he make you a better person? You think Oh, besides certain, making you more liberal, it sounds like liberal and kinder. Uh, I think as a young person, I was pretty snappy uh, and, and would sometimes approach things with vinegar uh, instead of you can catch more flies with honey. He always listens better. He reminds me to listen. If somebody has a complaint or a concern, listen first, approach it with kindness. So he, he taught me that early and I try to practice it. I don't always succeed. Yeah, well, we all just do our best, right? Mm-hmm. So He's in the bicycle professor. industry, by the way. He loves yeah. his work. He's found a career. He got his first job at 12 in a bike shop and he spent the last 40 plus years in an industry he just loves. And you guys briefly worked together, right? You were in-house counsel for his bike shop? Yes. Uh, or his bike company, a, I should say. It wasn't just a, you know, a bigger deal than that. Deal. Yeah, it was distribution. And that was fun. We worked together for a couple of years again while the kids were small and uh, I was trying to figure out my way. Um, but uh, he's, he's better off on his own without me in the bike world. Yeah. And it sounds like you're doing uh, things that you enjoy and he's doing things that he enjoys. Yeah. Now, do you Absolutely. bike? I do, but I am not a serious cyclist. I cruise. <laughs> yeah. And now, Josh, I don't know if you are riding any of these, but now we have e-bikes. Uh, I feel a little guilty. But man, oh man, you can ride a lot more. Oh yeah, no, I, I don't have one, but I've actually I've spoken to your husband about them. When the couple of times we've chatted, I said, "What's the story on e-bikes?" And he has an answer. Oh, they're fabulous, really fabulous. So but are I, you guys? I, I'm sorry, say that again. I do enjoy biking, but it's I'm not serious. So you're not uh, like indoor cycling, no pelotons in your house. No, no spin class, none of that. My, my husband's a serious cyclist, uh, rides very, very well. As a young man, when we were dating, he uh, said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, no, what? He said, I'm going to ride my bike from Pacific City, Oregon to Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey. And sure enough, he flew out to Pacific City the next week. 28 days later, he rode himself 
alone across the country and made it. So he's a cyclist. I'm a cruiser. There you go. I like it. And during lockdown, that's the kind of activity he could keep doing, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that uh, was really a saving grace, especially uh, in the beginning of the lockdown. He would be able to go out for a longer ride uh, because he he's travels the world. But during the beginning, of course, there was no traveling. So that was a real saving grace. Uh, for, for us, uh, we did a lot of walking, too. Um, that was a real important thing to have the chance. I love to walk, but to have the chance to get out of the house, to walk, to safely go pick up whatever groceries you need that day. Um, what a different world it was. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I've been asking people during the lockdown, did you make any crazy purchases, any uh, shenanigans, things that you did that you were like, why did I, why do I need seven tubs of macaroni and cheese or whatever the thing was? No, I, I, I'm a terrible shopper. Uh, I am one of those just in time shoppers and sometimes not even just in time. Uh, and I don't, you would think I would have had Amazon packages coming in. I, I don't do a lot of that. So I, I didn't do any good shopping at all. <laughs> That's fair. So, or, or bad shopping as the case. Or bad, or bad shopping. Did you buy something that you wonder why now you did that? Oh, I mean, this whole house is full of stuff that uh, I mean, not that I don't know why I did it, but there were a lot of purchases. There were a lot of Amazon packages coming to this house during lockdown. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, you had to, we were running an illegal daycare out of our house. We had a German woman living with us, like as an au pair. And then, you know, she needs stuff. We're setting up two home offices. There was a lot going on here. Well, we had a lot of offices going on. And I will say my youngest son, our youngest son, Alex, uh, is uh, one of the king of uh, Amazon delivery. Uh, there's something coming every day. Usually it's books. He just keeps buying books. He's an avid, avid reader or, or gadgets, but uh, not, I'm not ordering anything. Not a Kindle person? No, uh-uh. he, he likes the paper. He marks them. I, I, he's an old soul in that sense. I, I prefer the paper too. Nice. Okay. Now uh, let's talk about being in Congress because that's what people are tuning in. They say they're going to see, oh, you got Matt on. I want to hear about what it's like to be in Congress and be a lawyer in Congress because not everyone there is a lawyer. But uh, ten, you know, turning from where we were, what was that lockdown period like? Was everything remote? Is everything still remote? What's that transition been like? It was very challenging. Uh, and so we did not go fully remote. Well, my, my team did immediately, you know, whether it was somewhere around March 17th, my chief of staff co at that time uh, immediately uh, made sure that we were able to get technology to every single one of our staff uh, and uh, operate remotely. And I think he had us fully operational within a week, which was remarkable. Uh, I really worried how productive anybody could be, including myself. And I'll say the members themselves are a little different. So I kept going to uh, my office, Cannon House office building, or um, you know, to vote on the floor, you, you'd actually go in uh, and you went in, in in tranches of of folks, almost like getting on an airplane. Group one, you can now be seated, and uh, that's the way we were doing it. But all of the staff uh, went remote um, immediately, uh, and we're just now, uh, you know, fully vaccinated and folks uh, coming back, cycling back in. But it was very strange to go from just a bustling. I love when I go down. I'm going to go down today. When you go back into Washington, you go back into session and the, the hallways of every office building are crowded and the Capitol is bustling and noisy with visitors. I love when you see the school kids coming through 
to go to total silence. Nobody in the halls. Uh, was just an extremely strange time uh, and, and really challenging. So many of our uh, hearings went to virtual, uh, which is hard to do. You, know, you know, might have a six hour hearing on a Zoom, uh, very hard to do, or an eight hour markup. Uh, it, very, very challenging. And, and it really taught me how important the person to person uh, relationship is, uh, whether it's with legislators or with administration, with staffers. Uh, it just, you know, it, the pandemic reminded us how interconnected we are and how much we need people. Uh, so it, we're starting to come back to life. We don't have visitors yet coming into the offices, uh, but it's, it's nice to just see staff coming in. That's been great. So would it be you're there, you're going into vote, but if you went into your office, you were the only one there just by yourself? Yeah. That is really weird. Challenging, really challenging. Yeah. Now, during this Zoom life that we've been living, one of the things I've experienced in court is you, know, you just have regular people signing on to court from their houses, from wherever. And obviously, you're, well, not obviously, but I'm hoping you're dealing with people that are maybe a little more professional. But what is the craziest thing or two things that you've seen while on a Zoom hearing? Because I tell you that I have seen in court uh, someone. Uh, light up, light up, and start smoking a cigarette. Uh, people show up in bed, not dressed. Uh, people show up from their pool. Attorneys from their poolside. Those are really the top three that I've seen that are like pretty crazy. But I'm curious, you know, any members showing up, like you know, not necessarily fully dressed or like crazy things happening in the background. What have you seen? You don't have to give us names. I, uh, I won't give you names um, and I won't, this is gonna be a blending of some legislators and some uh, other people on hearing Zooms. Um, we had uh, one person who was not fully dressed and was ironing the pants he was about to put on. I just thought it was a fascinating way to go. Um, another person, uh, you can imagine we all dressed you know, appropriately for the top and you'd be in jogging pants at the bottom. Right. Well, he forgot the jogging pants um, had something on, but just was not fully prepared and just should never have stood up. Uh, right. So, you know, we have people out on the water. We have people, we have caucus meetings now uh, and caucus just last week, we had the option to go back in person. Caucus is fun because it's in person. It's important. And we, we get the chance to talk to so many good people who come in and speak with us, especially during this pandemic. Uh, but um we had caucus meetings where people were out walking. One, one of our members is a famous walker. So you, you have to tolerate, he's, he's walking the entire caucus long. He's participating, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but you just get to see people in, in their element, whether it's family and the dog running through, or, uh, I, I, you know, we think about this, when we go away from this, we're gonna all have to tell our children about how crazy this was. I hope, I hope we don't have to go through this again. Uh, how nuts this was uh, that we were all working from home. I, I particularly don't like the person in bed and, uh, attending the meeting. That is just not a professional look. The judge didn't like it very much either. So, oh. yeah, mm. not a yeah, good judge look. Furman, not judge Furman. I'm sure, you know, yeah, she was not happy. Yeah. Oh, my. oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Rich. Uh, she was not happy, but um have you noticed members of Congress that don't change the batteries in their smoke detectors, that kind of thing? Because I've noticed we've been on hearings, you know, and you can hear in the background, they're like, chirp, 
chirp because people don't change their smoke detector batteries and then or that's not something that's been a pet peeve or like people members texting each other do you notice that this one doesn't you know is always beeping we had a member on it i won't tell you which uh where it was uh who had not just the battery going off the alarm going off <laughs> and he was unfazed and then the next week because we're all like is that a fire alarm yeah he's unfazed the next hearing that we had same member there was construction and pounding at his home so i said i guess that was the repair from last week's fire yeah must have been <laughs> again the the person was nonplussed it just just it's funny how productive we can all be and we can just kind of ignore the chaos around us yeah exactly so final question about working in congress which is this it seems like it's totally crazy uh how crazy is it as a job and is it i mean but you must still like it right i mean like that's not the best question but how crazy is it and it hasn't been worth it for you well josh you know me i love it i am so lucky to be where i am when when i'm there uh it is crazy. You know, I spent six and a half years in Harrisburg, so I know a little something about crazy, uh, but I absolutely love it. We've had some real struggles this year. It's not a secret. Um, we were sworn in on the third. There was an insurrection on the sixth. We went right into impeachment, all this during a pandemic uh, and, and a really challenging political climate. And so sometimes on the floor, uh, I'll walk away at the end of the week and just feel like it, it has been so toxic. But I never say uh, this isn't some place I want to be. You know of the possibility uh, that is there in Washington. Every time I pull up to that Capitol, every time I come into the city, um, the chance to make little differences to the good. So I, I absolutely love it. And you're right. Uh, it's crazy. Sometimes we'll go through a, a, a day or two that just is uh, bedlam and some strange things going on. And you just say, you couldn't write this stuff. Um, but, but again, that the, the, there's such an opportunity, I think, particularly uh, this year uh, with a new administration with, I'm really proud of the stuff that we did with the other administration, with the former administration through the CARES Act, meeting the moment of a pandemic as best we could as we hobbled along, but sent re you know resources out to every community. So I feel like uh, we really have a chance, even though we're in a very difficult time of social struggle, economic struggle, health, public health struggle. Um, it's an extraordinarily um, exciting time to be there and to try to make differences for the good. And let me ask you this important question, and then we're going to go to our lightning round questions. Do you drive or do you Amtrak? Uh, through the pandemic, I was always Amtrak pre-pandemic. Uh, I love the train, the chance to work or not work or uh, catch up on phone calls if you're not in the quiet car. Uh, but uh, during the pandemic, I drove. Uh, so, uh, and I, I'm somebody who enjoys driving. And during the pandemic, you know, traffic was so low, you could get yeah. to walk in quickly from suburban Philadelphia. Uh, so mostly I'm back to uh, Amtrak. Uh, sometimes this week, for example, I need to drive. I need the car there for another reason. But yeah, I loved Amtrak. Nice. Okay, so here's our, our lightning round questions. The first one, you're going to have a pretty strong opinion on, I'm guessing, uh, which is this. The Oxford comma. What's your opinion? 
Do you use it? I'm guessing you know what it is because you are a writing professor. Uh, but that's the question that we're, right, we're asking everyone that comes on the podcast. So let me hear your thoughts. Absolutely. As a lawyer, as a mechanic in terms of our grammar, it makes perfect logical sense. I will tell you in my book, I kept putting it in. The editors kept pulling them out, putting them in, putting them out. So style guides may say differently, but notice how it appropriately breaks up a string uh, of nouns or adjectives or whatever it is. So yes, on the Oxford comma. Okay. What's something that you hate, but you wish you loved? Exercise. Not the first I, person that said that. <laughs> I wish, I wish I love to work out. I don't, I like to walk. I like tennis. I wish I'd love to work out and I don't. I hear you. What's the weirdest tradition your family has Ooh. besides the essays that, we, that were unsuccessful? It isn't weird, but it is one of our best traditions. Uh, and we couldn't do it last year in the pandemic. We have a 35 year running football game on the beach in Cape May the day after Thanksgiving with another family down there. So it's the Deans and Canans versus the Haas family. Uh, and that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I just love that time. I love the cooking of it. Uh, and then that football game brings us all together. And we've done it since before my children were born, when my children were little. Now with my children who are actually tall and talented can play and now their kids are there. So that's, that's one of our favorite traditions and we'll get it back this year. Nice. That sounds fun. I mean, not for me, because I don't do sports, but for people that enjoy sports, that sounds fun. Do you have any superstitions? I don't. I think I did when I was younger. I remember, uh, I'm not athletic, but I loved volleyball when I was younger. And I had a certain way of serving that it, I had to do the same pattern over and over again. So I don't think I, I have to think about that. I don't think I retain that kind of stuff. On the, on the flip side of that, I don't believe in coincidences. So I'll see something... For example, when I was going to uh, speak on the Senate floor during uh, the impeachment trial for the very first time, I was pacing a little bit uh, in the lobby outside of uh, the Senate floor. And as I walked, I saw a beautiful painting uh, of Washington, D.C. and a, a political leader, uh, a Senate leader. And I just glanced at it, thought, I love it. And I looked down and the painter's name was Dean first name was Dean. So I, I took that as absolutely a sign, calm down, you're in good shape. So uh, maybe it's the reverse of superstition. Uh, yeah. I believe there are meanings in little things. Interesting. Um, all right, we got just a few more. What is something that people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? Exercise. Okay, there we go. Look at that, two for one. <laughs> um, what's something you get wrong almost every time you do it? Uh, technology often. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. yeah. Just whatever. Yeah. yeah. Luckily you have like multiple help desks, multiple kids to help you. Yes. Uh, I can't get on this zoom link. Honest to God. Final question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'll go with my godmother's advice. Uh, Joan Casson was a, just a really wise woman. Uh, she was, she was my godmother. She was my mother's dearest friend uh, and oldest friend. And I remember I was really worried one time. I was teaching part-time, as I told you, at LaSalle University. And I had the offer to teach full-time. And so I went to her and I said, Joan, what should I do? Uh, I, I, the kids are little. I don't know how I'll ever get it all done. And uh, she said, she heard me out. She was a very talented listener also. 
Uh, and she said, Mad, you're worried about going from part-time to full-time and how will you do the grocery shopping and cook and make sure the kids do the homework? She said, remember that advice I gave you a couple of months ago? I said, which advice? We were in New York City and a little rain was falling. And so she said, come on, everybody hop on this bus that's coming by. Get out your quarters, you need quarters. And I stood at the curb, didn't want to get on the bus because I am so literal. I said, I don't have any quarters. She said, it takes only quarters, get on. But I said, Joan, I don't have quarters. She said, get on the bus, we'll find the quarters later. So sure enough, we all trumps onto the bus, a group of five women, uh, and th through the help of other bus riders, we got all our quarters together. And so when I asked Joan, I said, Joan, what should I do about this teaching job? She said, remember my advice, get on the bus, you'll find the quarters later. And by that, she meant, don't let this opportunity pass you by. The things you're worried about are small, they're quarters. They're, will, they, you know, will you get the housework done? Uh, will you have all the shopping that you need? She said, take the risk, get on the bus. You'll find the quarters later. And she was right. Wow. That's good advice. You know, let's leave it there. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you coming on. And where else can people find you if they want to follow you on uh, Twitter or elsewhere on the internet? Should they be looking for you or just read the newspaper? They, oh, no. Yeah, read the newspaper. I, I still love old news, old time newspapers. But yes, we're on Twitter. You can email me. You can uh, call into our office. Uh, it, it, and we're on Facebook. We're everywhere. Excellent. Well, hey, I appreciate you being here. Josh, thank you very much. Best to you and good luck on those trials coming up. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.